Welcome to Fragmented Minds, a podcast that looks at mental health from the patient's chair. I'm the Xanity System. And I'm Celine. In this episode, we discuss key terminology in the world of dissociative disorders. Hi guys, Editing Celine here. I just wanted to let you know that there is a big cut in this episode and the reason for that is we were discussing system responsibility. This episode was recorded before the announcement about the crowded room in April, so that portion of the episode has been made redundant by what you have heard from us previously. Before we begin this episode, we have to offer the following disclaimer. This show is for educational purposes and is primarily our opinions. It is not intended as a substitute for medical advice. If you have been upset by or believe you or a loved one have a mental illness as a result of these discussions, please seek advice from your doctor or therapist. So today we have for you common terms with DID, otherwise known as dissociative identity disorder. Seeing as both of us kind of have this disorder, would you like to introduce us with dissociative, well, we don't have DID. No, we both have a, a dissociative disorder. That's what I meant. <laughs> well, you've been having a kooky week, so I'll let you off this one. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. The dissociative disorders are a variant of a mental health disorder often caused by chronic issues in the formative years. They're characterized by the mind somehow disconnecting from perceived reality, hence dissociation. So I mentioned in our introduction that I lean more towards depersonalization and derealization. So depersonalization is my mind is disconnected from my body or my identity. So I'm not connected to the person that I am. Derealization is when the mind doesn't perceive senses tied to reality. So you might find that you have heard things wrong. You might have lost your hearing as such altogether and not realized because your mind is elsewhere. It can also manifest, as I know it does with me, as almost like a hyper-focus. Like, I can get so hooked up in something else that, especially if it's something visual, that my other senses, most notably, like my hearing is the worst one for this, but the other senses will just seem to fade out. Yeah, and I think it's fair to say that we're talking about dissociation from a sense of the disorders that we personally deal with, but everybody in life dissociates to a degree, like when you zone out for a while and you're not listening to what's being said in the middle of a boring class, or when you were reading a book, that's a form of dissociation because you're disconnecting from your reality and connecting to the reality of the book, their mind state or emotional state at times and not paying attention to the rest of the world around them. I think even that can become disordered if you don't manage it. It's almost like, oh, it's, you know, at risk of um, inviting the wrath of certain groups already. Um, it's almost like your appetite in that some people eat mindlessly and those are the people who are more likely to put on weight and suffer all the health consequences of that. Um, whereas people who are mindfully eating, you know, they're making conscious choices or, and they take their time with their food, these are the people who are more likely to maintain a healthy weight. Speaking of mindfulness, I found that to be one of the best ways to come out of dissociative episodes, or at least to be able to manage the dissociation, because if you don't mind me talking a bit about my dissociative history. Go ahead. I 
had a lot of derealization, depersonalization growing up to the point that my dreams were so vivid that I couldn't tell the difference if it was a dream world or waking world, you know, the world that we're in when we're all awake as opposed to sleeping. That's the level of dissociation that I had to deal with is that I was constantly derealized and constantly depersonalized and I couldn't recognize myself in the mirror. I knew that was me in the mirror, but the face didn't register as, hey, that's me. It's more, who's that? Oh, I'm the only one in the bathroom. That's yeah. who it must be. <laughs> I mean, I even as young as like three years old, I think this is like the first memories I have are like that. I remember looking in the mirror and like not really registering that this was my reflection or like and even for years afterwards, I would always look at it and think something's not right here. I didn't know what, but I definitely wasn't happy with what I saw in the reflection but I think that might be because of my disconnects if that makes any sense <laughs> yeah maybe some sometimes that kind of disconnect can manifest in all kinds of weird ways it's probably like a comorbidity kind of situation really isn't it okay so we've talked about depersonalization derealization and we've talked about general dissociation so let's move on a little bit to dissociative identity disorder. So back in our introduction, you briefly explained how DID is. So you mentioned that you have these multiple identities in your mind, which are all different parts of you, but they are separated by having their own memories, among other things. Let's go with the one that, at the risk of setting you off, because I know that you're not a big fan, so some people might have watched the episode of Dr. Phil and seen a lady with DID. And the one term that kind of came up repeatedly in that was alters. Could you explain that a little bit to start off with? Yes. On alter would be one of these parts or identities. It's a dissociated part. And I could get into some clinical explanations about it, but I think it'd be better if I just provide links or... What do you think? Go full clinical? Maybe kind of do like the cliff notes and then we, what we can do is we can provide links to resources in the, I think the term you're looking for is the show notes. Yeah. Okay. So um, what I talked about in introduction, I'll talk about here again, is that dissociative identity disorder is a dissociative disorder that is trauma-based when the, it's based off of this theory called the theory of structural dissociation. As children, all of us are multiple parts. You know, the, the angry child might not remember anything that the happy child remembers. You'll see that there's just this differentiation in children where they don't really click with all parts of themselves, all aspects of their personality, their identity. So moving forward is that uh, by age 9 to 11, 6 to 11, depends on which research you, you've gotten your hands on, the human brain starts to integrate all of these parts into a singular identity. The happy child remembers being sad five minutes earlier. Uh, the angry child remembers what it was like to enjoy ice cream an hour ago and things like that. It becomes more uh, wholly integrated. When trauma comes in and interrupts the developmental process of this integration, you end up with dissociated parts, parts that are separated by amnesia barriers, um, you know, they, they don't remember the same things from one to the other, different preferences, different skills, and then they all grow up separately. Yeah. 
because they don't interact with each other. They don't learn from each other necessarily. And some might be able to observe others from the inside, you know, like your subconscious is constantly observing your conscious state and your conscious state can sometimes observe your subconscious state. It's a little like that, but a bit more complicated. So in, in developing with these parts, continuing to remain dissociated from each other, continuing to remain with these amnesia barriers, sometimes the barriers getting stronger or weaker, depending on what the person is going through, more trauma, more healing, more healing will probably drop the dissociative barriers and they'll start to remember, be able to coalesce into a more cohesive identity, more singular identity. Because I believe each singular identity can have multiple personalities. You have your teacher hat versus your hat that you wear when you're around kids versus the hat you wear around friends. It might be a different hat that you wear around family, that kind of thing. But So healthy multiplicity. Healthy multiplicity, yes. Um, <laughs> thank you for saying that. With alters, they're still separate. So you might have an alter that has happiness that expresses a different way than when they're angry. So with your DID friend, you might notice that they have five different kinds of ways of being angry. And it's really hard to tell like each moment, like, is this quiet because they're quiet or is this quiet because they're angry this time? And it's hard to to have a cohesive kind of personality going on because these alters are handling multiple aspects throughout life. Some alters might be less complex. You know, there might be some alters who only perform a certain task. Like there is an alter that only does a certain kind of work at work, or there's an alter that only does math for everybody in the system and, and things like that. I think that covers it. Do you? Yeah, I'd say so. So we were actually talking about this quite recently in our, in a kind of unwinding talk. We talked about switching and being switchy. Do you want to explain that from your perspective? Sure. So at any given time, any of the alters could be in control of the body, in control of talking, in control of movements, in control of life decisions, any of them. Yeah. When this control of the body is switched, huh? Yeah. When it's exchanged, when um, there's a new identity in control of the main seat of the body and able to speak for everybody, that's called a switch. When somebody says, says that they are feeling switchy, this might mean that this exchange of power might be out of control, which is pretty common for a lot of systems. They have no control over what uh, alter is out. All of the alters have to find a way to communicate and work together in order to have control over which alter is out at which time, which you imagine learning how to control a switch comes becomes very beneficial, especially if you have work or school or family or obligations. You don't want necessarily the little that knows nothing about math yet to be out when you're taking your calculus classes. You want the one that's been studying calculus to be out at that time, right? Yeah. So then being switchy is essentially it's out of control. It's happening a lot. Another term is rapid switching, meaning that many alters are cycling throughout the front. Many alters are changing who has control. It's kind of like playing hot potato, but it's not really the most consensual game anybody gets into as a DID system. <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine. 
the closest thing I can have to anything like that is kind of just like a very trans-like state, which is more like a deep autopilot. I, I don't think the lights are on upstairs when, the, when that happens. <laughs> but it, I can imagine that that last bit rapid switching sounds almost kind of terrifying. It can be terrifying, yes. I don't think that's the main thing it is always. For all of us, we've gotten to a place where we'll be confused. We won't know what's really going on. Like a friend will say that we've said the exact same thing five times in a row and we have absolutely no recollection of doing this. We've kind of learned to ride the waves, as it were. So it's not terrifying for us like it was in early days when we didn't know what alters were we didn't understand how this condition manifested we didn't know that we had this condition we didn't have a name for it that was when it was terrifying absolutely and nowadays it's more inconvenient confusing it's like you have a, the flu but it's the flu of memory and attention you know so you gotta kind of you take it easy. You use your grounding skills. You become mindful. You find ways to communicate with everybody who's who's uh, rapid switching with you. So what I do is that I'll get out a journal. Uh, either it'll be an electronic journal, and I can use the keyboard, or I'll get out uh, pencil and paper. Whatever works for us in that moment. And as we're constantly switching, we'll check in with each other. We'll write who was out. We'll write what we did, or we'll have a conversation. Because sometimes the rapid switching is just an effect of stress. Sometimes somebody inside needs something but hasn't been able to communicate it. And once we can figure out what the trigger might be what it is that we need to do for ourselves to feel safe to feel calm that's when the rapid switching will kind of resolve itself and sometimes it just happens using the journals or having trusted friends that know what's going on nearby is really beneficial because they can reorient you like oh hey hi why am i standing in the kitchen i thought we were talking in the living room and they could be like oh yeah so and so came out said these things good to see you again. That's so validating to get from a friend when dealing with this kind of thing. So next thing that we've got on our list is system. You briefly explained that one in your introduction as well, but in case anyone needs refreshing because it's been a while, do you want to kind of briefly explain what that term means in a DID context? Yeah, system in a DID context, otherwise known as DID system or multiple system because there's multiple alters. And I mentioned it a few times in this episode. So if I've been confusing you by saying the word system, what I mean by that is that a whole group of alters within one physical body in this world is a is typically referred to as a system, a system of alters, a system of parts, because we're all part of each other. We all make up the whole. There's no one singular identity that's overarching for all of us that will eventually siphon into or or you know some people choose to go the integration fusion route with their systems um some people go towards a healthy multiplicity or functional multiplicity so yeah short terms is the system it's a group of uh dissociated identities either working with or against each other you know it doesn't matter what state they're in but they're it's a group of functioning alters 
thank you very much. I'm going to kind of merge these two together because as I, I understand that these are opposites, so there's no point kind of separating them as such. In-world and out-world, what do you mean when you tend to say these things? Um, so not all systems have an inner world and some people who don't have a system of altars do have an inner world. It's not quite your happy place inside your head, although it could be. It's it's that imaginary space in your mind's eye where you can check in and see how you're doing emotionally or subconsciously or what's going on with you, what's going on with your thoughts. And for a system like me of a bunch of individuals, this, this in-world is a place where the altars continue to be awake and function or sleep or what have you when they're not in control of the body. It, to them, it's a whole nother reality. It's very real to many of the altars that live inside it, those who are able to, because not all altars have access to the same inside world. And in contrast, outworld or outer world is our physical reality out here, the space which the brain and body occupy, that would be outer world. So if somebody is saying in-worlder, or someone in-world, they're probably talking about an altar inside. And if they say someone's an outworlder or an outworld person, they're talking about somebody in the physical corporeal space we have out here, where our bodies and minds are that we can talk to each other, where you're using your ears to listen to this podcast. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way you wrap that one. <laughs> um... Thank you. Next thing I've got to list um, some of the altar types because not all altars are made equal. The next two we actually touched on very briefly when we were doing the recording for our introduction. Host is the first one on our list. And then you've made a note that you personally use the term manager. And when you introduced yourself for our introductory episode, you touched on the term manager before. Could you explain these two terms for us? Yes. Um, there's a lot of different explanations that go behind the term host. It's a very common term that's used in the psychological practices by the professionals, by the researchers, and it's a term used by many members of the community, um, the DID community. What host to my best understanding, what it means is it, it's the altar that either is outside most of the time keeping, you know, your external life, your life goals, etc. running and functional, your social life running and functional for the most part, the, the altar who's out the most for daily living. Um, another definition that I think applies is it's the altar that... They don't have to be out most of the time or all the time, but they do help manage outworld reality and life. They're the ones that kind of respond to the body's name most of the time. It's It's got so many personal meanings to everybody who their host is and what roles and functions their host actually performs. Some people think that this term means the original personality. But if you listen to earlier in the podcast, when I went over the theory of structural dissociation, you would know that there is no one original identity. Yeah. 
there was always a multitude to start with. And then we coalesce into a singular identity as we grow older and develop and uh, healthy develop. So, but I think it's fair to point out that some people do think like the host is the one that responds to the body's name. The host is the one who's... I don't like the term, but some people feel like the host is the most real <laughs> one, which uh, I, I don't understand that because each of the altars are real and the host is no more or less real than any of the other altars. The host is also an altar. And and some people genuinely believe that their host is the original personality. And for them, that might be their reality. And I'm not here to invalidate that. I'm just giving my perspective and the definitions that I understand to the best of my ability. Yeah. Then because I struggle so much with the term host, our system struggles with the term host. It carries so much weight and import from the community and from researchers and things like that. We don't like identifying any one person in the in the body as higher than anybody else, more real, more valid. It to us host carries those connotations. So Zane Hello, it's me. I go by the term manager, and that's a term that the rest of the system has also agreed with. And that's because I don't feel like I'm hosting anything. I don't feel like I'm inviting people in and having them sit down. I don't feel like I'm getting anybody's waters. I feel like I am managing a life for a massive group of people. It's like I essentially might be the CEO if this were a company, and my decisions and what goals I set for the company, everybody falls in line, has to follow, might like it, might dislike it, might have a better idea, might have an entirely new idea. And it's up to me to take in those ideas and use them as constructively and harmoniously as possible. I do end up being the one who's out most of the time, but in a given month, somebody else could be out more than I am. I might be out an hour a day. I might be out for two hours in a week. And basically what I do is I say hi to my friends. I check all of the calendars. I make sure all the calendars are up to date. I check to see if we have any appointments. I make sure those are up to date. I check in with everybody inside. I see if anybody is ready to tackle those appointments, tackle what's on our calendar, make sure that everybody is actually using the tools we have to keep our life in a forward motion so that we can eventually get the things that everybody in the system wants or needs. So yeah, I I will always be calling myself the manager of the system rather than the host of the system. Yeah, I was trying, I had to admit, I was trying not to giggle a little bit when you were saying like, you don't see yourself as a host because I wanted to say, well, you're a podcast host now. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> I don't see myself as a host of the system but i certainly am a co-host of a podcast dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Good, yeah. you, you're spooky <laughs> yep that's me <laughs> okay moving on um, um <laughs> so what are protectors so i don't know what order these things are going to be just yet but in a bit of a curveball when we were because we were going to record this a week ago and we had daisy in the front and she didn't feel as confident as we're doing this episode as she thought you would be for it but she did identify herself as a protector could you explain that a little bit for us sure 
protector isn't a term I have issues with. It's another common term used by the researchers and professionals as well as by the community. The protector fulfills a very particular role of making sure the mental state, physical state, social state, emotional state of the system is protected in some way. They don't always do what you might think. They might do some counterintuitive things such as protecting your emotional state by isolating you from all of your friends because they think your friends are the danger. But they can always be worked with to understand better and more efficient ways of fulfilling the urge that they have to protect something. Protect you from bad memories, protect you from bad experiences, you know, just that's what they do. They they protect. It's it's very much in the name. <laughs> what it says on the tin, as we say over here in the UK. What it says on the tin. <laughs> I like that. What it says on the tin. Okay. What about persecutors then? Because it sounds like they're almost the opposite of protectors. Yeah. So persecutory altar. There's some issues that I have with this term, but I haven't found one that I like better yet. I uh, I like calling them wayward protectors, and I find a lot of other people in the community like referring to persecutory or persecutor alters as wayward protectors because they are still trying to protect you from something, but they do these things in a way that is most counterintuitive, more counterintuitive than a non-persecutory protector. You know, I, I mentioned some protectors might isolate you from all of your friends to keep you safe. The persecutor would do this and probably throw in a good amount of the internal critic, if you're familiar with that term. They will bully you, threaten you, scare you, harm you, threaten your friends, threaten your family. And I'm not saying that these altars are always dangerous. I'm not calling them homicidal in any way when I say they're threatening your friends and family. It's they're picking fights. They're uh, saying, leave me alone or else. <sighs> Typically, these altars carry so much of the trauma, so much of the anger that you might not have been allowed to feel about what you experienced. Memories of things that happened to you that were horrible. They carry the self-hatred and they they really need so much love and attention and respect and care. They need to receive what they didn't receive in the past. In the past, they were neglected, they were abused, they were ignored. They need to be heard and cared for and shown what real healthy boundaries are. And they're probably the hardest for people to deal with because they, they can be scary. They can be scary like a monster under the bed for a seven-year-old is absolutely terrifying. It's just they don't deserve the animosity they receive, though. Because they scare members of their system, it might mean that they are the most hated member of that system. And that only drives them further into the behaviors, drives them further into the shame and the trauma. 
it's really important to recognize they're being big and scary to find a way to protect you, to protect themselves from repeating these abuses and these traumas they've experienced. And I would love to have an episode on persecutors with our persecutors talking about their experiences and what has or hasn't helped them because persecutor is a big topic, but it's also a very common alter type that most people seem to have in their systems. Would you say that, well, I'll, I'll, let me explain this a little bit just for the audience's sake. So when you were explaining the facts versus myths of DID to me before we started creating this podcast, you introduced me to the Wales-based Multiplicity and Me, aka Jess. Yes. Would you say that Ed, who used to manifest and cut the body's thighs, is a good example of the persecutor type? Yes, and there is even a video on their channel talking about persecutory and sexual alters where Ed is talking about his experiences because the actions that Ed took and the way that he used to behave was very persecutory behavior. Yes. If anyone wants to pick up a YouTube channel which is primarily about DID, the two of us both recommend Multiplicity and Me. Just in case that wasn't already crystal clear. (laughs) I absolutely recommend them. They are also, they've done their work in a degree that's gotten them employment in the NHS. So highly endorse them and they're mostly for their background and the work that they've done. They were actually on an ITV show at one point called This Morning. It's a long running daytime TV show to talk about it as well. So they are doing work to kind of make the truth of the condition a lot more mainstream. I love hearing that because uh, the condition is widely misunderstood and there are a lot of myths such as uh, how rare it might be, how the alters manifest and how likely somebody with this condition is to commit a crime. I'll put together some documentation to see if we can't do an episode on tackling the myths of DID and refer to credible resources and links that other people can use to follow for their own edification. Definitely. I mean, education and validation is the center of what we're, why we're doing this. Yes. <laughs> okay, moving on. So this is the other thing that came up when I was talking to Daisy last week. The littles or the tykes. Could you go into a bit more detail about that for me, please? Yeah, so um, imagine that the theory of structural dissociation is legitimate enough that you could place yourself in the mindset of being multiple parts as a young child, and those parts you receive some trauma and they get kind of separated from each other, and that little buffer of amnesia goes up. Maybe not all of them grow up with the rest of the body. They stay that age around those time periods of trauma. You might have one because everybody has an inner child. There are plenty of books on connecting with your inner child and doing work with your inner child so you can have a happy, fulfilling life, a creative life that some people are lacking out on as adults because they don't let themselves play. They don't let themselves really let go and explore things in a spontaneous manner like children do. Mm. So 
with the trauma, you get isolated parts that get stuck at a certain age, or you develop parts that uh, are younger than the body might be. These would be littles. Uh, in our system, we call them our tykes. And the tykes that we have, we do a lot of things for them to make sure that the system is happy as a whole. We notice that the well-being of the tykes really reflects our ability to function on a day-to-day level. So one thing we do as a system is before bed, it's tyke time. We take the time to watch kid-friendly shows for a couple hours before bed. We take the time to lay out the stuffed animals near bed. We make sure the bed is nice and comfy for anybody who's getting into it. And as we're going to sleep, we listen to something that's calming, something that the tykes like to listen to. Typically, that's some kind of music. It's a kid's cartoon TV series. It's a very small selection of YouTubers to keep things PG-13 and things like that. And my friends that have gotten to know our tykes are delighted by them. Some of them are confused because now they have a crying seven-year-old in their lap and a 29-year-old trans male body is crying in their lap and they don't know how to respond to that. That's... And that's fair. And and we talk to our friends about what they can do and what we kind of expect from them. But we also ask our friends, where are their boundaries? What can they handle? What can we expect from our friends in response to certain things that go on? And then we do our best to manage our stress levels and do our best to communicate about switching inside to make sure that no tykes are stuck with somebody that doesn't appreciate them for who they are and can't work with them. I've been very relieved to hear that most often tykes are really well-received. People are delighted to get to know them, and they often find their presence refreshing. So there's hope out there. Anybody with DID struggling to get their littles some love, you can find the right people. They're out there. Yeah. If the things go well, one of the things we've talked about is providing some little friendly activities either as a live stream or as a video to give that kind of provision and that sense of inclusiveness that they might find it's a bit difficult because while their minds are very young they can be in an uh, they're in this adult body and it makes things a bit hard for people to understand from the outside very true and that's something else is that the littles are typically children like you 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 have to be age appropriate around them and there might be a huge learning curve with getting to know who's out in control of the body at a given time but when you are aware or if you can ask then be age appropriate let the little set the pace and if they're trying to get into anything that's harmful for their development or their well-being take a compassionate stern approach let them know that you care and that you would like them to check in with the adults inside and constantly encouraging a little to check in with the adult alters inside is a good way to foster system communication, system responsibility, which we can talk about a bit later if you don't know what that means, can honestly help their healing path. Yeah, definitely. I can only imagine, like, because something I can vouch from my experience is the fact that validation is so powerful when it comes to healing if you kind of get dismissive about anything that someone else has gone through it can in the right mind be comparable to 
the original trauma. Yes. Yes, it can, especially if the main trauma they experienced was invalidation, because invalidation is mentally and physically painful to experience, so it can easily become something traumatic, which is why some people are more heavily impacted by bullying than others are, because they might already be very sensitive to invalidation. And validating the littles is a good thing to do in particular because littles can carry a lot of trauma themselves, they can carry a lot of hurts, they're more sensitive, more emotionally raw, so them getting the validation they didn't receive when they were physically children can be very helpful, very healing. The bigs are, which is what sometimes a young alter will call the adults in the system, if I understand it correctly. Is there anything that you want to add on that point? Yeah, bigs in a system. If you hear a DID system talking about bigs, they're usually talking about the adult alters in the system, those who are 18 and over. And you might hear it more often from the littles or the tykes referring to someone older in the system as a big because that's language that suits them better at the time. It just means adult alter, really. If you got littles, you got bigs, of course. Yeah, I think that covers all the major terms we've got noted. You, our show notes are packed full of um, summaries of research that you've kindly dug up for us. So we'll have to, we'll definitely have to share those. Yeah, I I kind of go a little deep in with my research. <laughs> you definitely do. I can't think of any other terms that are pertinent. Like I, I pretty much covered the the most basic terms. And I would have to do more research into like uh, specialized alter types because like we could get into the animal alters, we can get into uh, internal self-helpers, we could get into sexual alters, traumatized trauma holders, all kinds of things. Um, I suppose what we could say is with like more specialized versions, if yours come forward, it'll give them a bit more to talk about. So I lean towards kind of a more as and when kind of situation even though we have kind of names to be finalized but we've kind of taken to calling alter introductions like daisy's the curveball episodes because we don't know when they're coming but we'll be prepared for them more more so than for going forwards yes living with dissociation people It means you zone out and you lose focus and you forget what you were doing. And it uh, means a lot of other things too. You might think it's ADHD, but it it's not. Yeah, no. Yeah. Or your brain's, yeah, your brain's overloaded itself somehow and you're, you, you need to reboot. <laughs> Rebooting. Please wait. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think the... As we do more episodes like the one we did with Daisy, we'll be able to talk more about alter types and different definitions of certain things because we kind of hit the the fusion of two parts with Daisy, Daisy being a little anti-protector. And I think that episode could probably stir up a little bit of controversy because she is a tyke and a protector at the same time. But I, I look forward to those discussions and they kind of make me a little nervous because I don't want to trigger people even though triggers happen you know you can't control every like avoiding everybody's trigger and i just hope that and it's not healthy either 
No, you can't avoid triggers indefinitely and learning to face the triggers and cope with being triggered is a huge part of overcoming your trauma and the disorderly sides of it. So I just kind of hope that people have grounding tools and know that they can take a break at any time. You don't have to listen to a whole episode all the way through in one sitting, you know, things like that. Definitely. I suppose we could just say that contrary opinions will occasionally happen in this show. And I don't see that as a bad thing because as Garo Akechi pointed out in Persona 5, progress is made from thesis and antithesis coming against each other. So in having these discussions about opinions and differing views, we can hopefully come up with the best solution all around. Yeah, and that's why if y'all follow our Instagram, you'll see that the goals that sanity system has one of them includes civil discourse which means celine and our system might not see eye to eye but we know how to still talk to each other and respect each other despite that and we hope to model that for some people that might have been you know lacking out on those kinds of examples absolutely because opinions and perceptions are born from the processing of information And the information that one person might get might be very, very different from what the other has. And, you know, with the fact that we're an ocean apart from each other, that's pretty much guaranteed. (laughs) Yes, we both have different school experiences, uh, healthcare experiences, for sure, healthcare experiences. Um, (laughs) Yay for the NHS. Yes, I, I am astounded with the NHS most times. Thanks for listening to us discuss key terminology in the realm of dissociative disorders. This has been Celine from London, Fragmented Minds, and I hope you have learned and enjoyed. Thank you all for listening to us from Zane from uh, Xanity System from the USA. It's been great talking with y'all. Thanks again for listening to Fragmented Minds, the mental health podcast from the patient's chair, hosted and produced by Celine and the Xanity System. Music by Purple Planet. For resources and sources, check our show notes. Have a great day and see you next time.